0: This summer, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, last time we were together that we were going to talk about issues that um, we're going to talk about maybe things that you always wanted to know but were afraid to ask, some things that y'all ask about and uh, um, some things that we uh, are going to walk through together and tonight we're going to talk about The Demon Dilemma, alright? So we're going to talk about what Scripture says. We're going to look at one specific story this week about what the Bible says about um, demons or um, evil spirits or whatever uh, you would like to call them. Uh, So we're going to talk about that. And the next week we're going to talk about some some other kind of issues that come out of that. Uh, You know, those of you that have been around, you know this is... I'm going on almost four years here, and this is not something we talk about a whole lot. We talk about in the midst of other things as we come up in Scripture, but to spend time on it we don't talk about. And there are a couple of reasons for that, but one is um, a quote that I love by a guy named C.S. Lewis. And it's uh, on the next screen there. And it's a quote that he wrote several years ago, and he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that's the evil spirits, the demons, are equally pleased with both errors. I read some stuff this week, reminding myself of some things that we studied in my, uh, my school, my PhD studies, about uh, something that a missionary has called the excluded middle. And the idea there is that he says if you were to go into most churches in America and ask the question, do you believe Satan is real and demons are real, that what you would get is this uh, answer of yes, uh, most states have shown about 80% of the time. And so they would do this kind of study, he said, and so it would look like that everybody in churches in America believes that demons are real. He said, but then if you were to actually talk to them about daily life, there would be no kind of discussion at all or even any kind of awareness of the reality in daily life. In practical living, it's not a part of their consideration. And so he would say that what has happened is we believe that there is life on earth, that there is a heaven most people in churches would believe that, firmly believe that, I believe that, we believe that, there is a heaven, but that those two kind of realities don't kind of interact very much in our minds and how we live, and as a result, there is this in-between area that he calls the excluded middle, it reminded me of a movie I saw a few years ago, that was kind of a crazy movie, it's called The Usual Suspects, anybody seen usual suspects. Okay. It's a kind of a, a who done it kind of thing, but it's different than those kind of things. And at the end of that movie there's a character there, um, whose name is Kaiser say. and at the end of the movie, as he's walking out, one of his last lines is, he said, The greatest lie Satan ever convinced people of is that he doesn't exist. And so there's this essence in which we make it verbal agreement that yes that's and we think well the bible teaches it so we kind of have to agree with that but this practical nature of it not kind of playing out on the other hand there are those in christian circles who talk about it all the time read books about it all the time that write about it all the time and i think that that lewis is right that we have to find this kind of balance where we acknowledge it But we acknowledge it in the place that Scripture acknowledges it. What's interesting is our contemporary's culture fascination with the supernatural. We live in the most scientifically progressed existence that has ever existed. And yet there is this fascination with almost a longing, if you will, in some of our pop culture kind of stuff, for there to be a different reality. Um, I I just wrote down, I think I brought it in here, I I went through and looked at shows that are coming on this fall, the brand new television shows, okay? So this is the ones that uh, the networks have looked at and said these are our new shows. Some of them will be canceled before they have a second episode. Some of them won't make it. Some of them will become the next big thing, okay? But this is a list, and out of the ones that are announced, there were about... 20 announced, big time ones they're going after. I've listed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 that have supernatural elements in them. Um, One is called A Gifted Man and it's about a detective that communicates with his deceased wife on a regular basis in the midst of cases. Okay? One is called The River and it's one that we're not going to let our Brazil team see until they get back. It's about a family that goes on kind of a mission to Brazil, they go to the Amazon region, and the husband disappears, and the family starts searching for him, and they have all these weird, strange things happen, all right? There's a once upon a time where people are living in dual realities between here and in a fairy tale existence, and they interact with one another. There's Grimm, where there's a modern-day detective who is a descendant of the brothers Grimm, and the stories they wrote about were about actual things that happened. And they start replaying themselves. Uh, there's a show about Alcatraz um, that from the guy that created Lost. And the, the story there is what they didn't tell you about Alcatraz is the reason it shut down is because all of the prisoners disappeared. And they've started to show up again one by one in modern world. And there are cops that are trying to find them and figure out what happened. All right. So the point of all that is not each individual one, but it's this um, essence of this kind of thought. What, what's going on here? What, what's behind all this? That even as our society has become more about the only things we'll believe in are the things we can touch and feel and respond to, what we also have to come to understand is that there's a longing in every soul to get to a deeper level, a spiritual level. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to read a story together and then we're going to talk about what the Bible says. Now the first thing's already up there, and you know that the Bible teaches that demons are real. Okay, Turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. You can take Mark chapter 5. What we have to understand is that the concept of demons being real is prevalent in Scripture. It's prevalent in the Old Testament. It's prevalent in the New Testament, especially in the light of Jesus. And we're going to read a story here about where Jesus confronts a demon, and they start yelling out at him even without a whole lot of interaction. And uh, I remember being at Union in a class, and one of my professors being... There, uh, um, Allen's had him actually, and his Dr. Paul Jackson, who's a guy I respect a lot. And Dr. Jackson one day was talking, we were talking through some of these encounters with demons, and somebody just raised their hand and says, why didn't that happen to us? Why didn't that happen to us? Why am I not walking down the street and somebody, you know, they, they weren't really wanting it to happen, they weren't asking for it to happen, they just said, you know, it happened, to, why didn't it happen to us? And I remember Dr. Jackson's answer vividly. He said, when Jesus came, the light of God was so focused in him, it repelled any darkness around which he found himself. And he was able to expose things that stay hidden in ordinary light. I thought about this. Um, a couple weeks ago, about a month ago, I went to the dentist. How many of you like going to the dentist? Yeah, okay, me too. All right? By the way, they've got this pediatric dentistry stuff figured out. My kids love the dentist. They want to go to the dentist. They think it is a party when they get to go to the dentist because they go in, and they have video games in the lobby. They go and lay in a chair, and there's a TV with whatever they want to watch on the ceiling. And they just, uh, Eli, I went back there. They don't let me go back because they say it's worse when mom and dad come back. It's worse because we see what they get, and we don't get that at the dentist. That's what makes it worse. But I, I, went, I just peeked back there one time to check on something, and Eli had his arms behind his head with his mouth open, watching TV with earphones on. I mean, my kids love the dentist. They get prized and they leave. But well, when I go to the dentist, they lay me back in that chair, right? I get ready to clean my teeth, and then she reaches up, the hygienist, and what does she do? Shines that light, right? And she brings it right down to your teeth. Why? Because she's got to see some things that I can't see in the mirror. And so the brightness of that light exposes things that stays hidden even in normal lighting conditions. Okay? So in chapter 5 of the book of Mark, we've got this kind of uh, thing where Jesus is there and he's coming out. And we're going to just make some quick observations tonight. I'm not going to keep you real long because it looks like it's going to snow outside and, you know. We've got to get you home before the sleet and the snow hits, all right? Chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the clothes apart and broke the irons of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion. For we are many. Just a little side note. That's one of those verses that if it's read with the right voice and the right music behind it is spine chilling. Right? And that sounds like a line from the latest horror movies. My name is Legion. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go. He gave them permission. The evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened, and the man told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go to your home and family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis or the ten cities how much Jesus had done, and all the people were amazed. I just want to tell you three things tonight, and then we're going to deal with some questions next week of possession and encountering and engaging and those kind of things. I just want to tell you three truths from this particular passage of Scripture that is also true in the rest of the passages that we see. The first thing is, it's already up there, and that is that demons are real. They're real. Now, there are people that today would say, well, what really happened here is Jesus came upon a man that had had a psychotic break. Um, He had had schizophrenia. He He had split personality syndrome." He, he, he had psychosis of some ways and his mind couldn't operate correctly. And, and hear me, I, I'm not saying that those aren't legitimate diagnoses at times. But for us to say from this point of view that, well, Jesus was just dealing with some kind of unknown mental illness. Would make Jesus out to be not who he said he was. Because when Jesus comes up, he doesn't say, get out of him, you unknown illness. He says... Who am I talking to? He speaks directly to something inside of this man. Now it is a creepy kind of encounter, right? Jesus, don't do you know? Help us out! Don't 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 send us away or don't, you know. And Jesus says, "Well, who am I talking to?" And you get that I'm legion. There are many of us in here. But Jesus never says. Turns to the crowd and goes. By the way, he doesn't know what he's talking. He's just had a mental episode. I'm going to work with him here for a minute. Jesus believed that there was some sort of evil spirit, supernatural presence inside of this man. Otherwise, he wouldn't have talked to them. What do you call somebody that talks to things that aren't alive or real? (laughs) Peculiar to say the least, right? I mean, if you walked up and I was in my office and I was talking to my baseball glove, having a conversation with a baseball glove, that that would not be right. If I was talking... Now, I know it's a little different situation. It's a person and talking to people or entities within. But if you thought I was talking to something that wasn't real, you would think I was crazy. But we don't see Jesus in that way here. And what we have to acknowledge is... Whatever else the Bible teaches about the subject of demons, it definitely teaches this that they are real. Now, we're not going to go into a full explanation or biblical understanding of uh, the Old Testament and how it talks about Satan casting the being cast out and angels going with him and where all that occurred. All I know is Scripture teaches that they are real and That they were not cast at the moment into hell. They are cast at the moment onto earth. And that their existence is real here. Now here's the second thing we see in this passage of Scripture. Not only are they real, but they're powerful. Now you tell me, out of what I just read in Mark chapter 5, what gives you an understanding that they're powerful? He couldn't be bound, okay? Now, the actual word there, Jimbo, is they could not tame him, okay? That's what the original says. The Bible uses the translation bound. But but being tamed gives a different kind of understanding. A couple of weeks ago when I was not with you and Alan was teaching, we were in St. Louis, and actually on Wednesday we went to the St. Louis Zoo. Now, here's the primary reason we went to the St. Louis Zoo. It's free. All right, and it's hard to beat free. All right, when you go anywhere else with kids, there's, you know, five dollars for this one and ten dollars for this one and eight. I mean, you know, before long you've spent five hundred and eighty-two dollars to go get a pizza. You know, I mean, you go free. So we went free, and uh, the St. Louis Zoo. How many of you ever been to the St. Louis Zoo? Been there? Okay, it's it's a really good zoo. Uh, Susan raised her hand back there. I'm glad to see. Thanks. <laughs> she could testify for me here. <laughs> and one of the really cool things about the zoo, that zoo is they let you get up close and personal with some of the animals. I was as close to a penguin as I am to any of you right now. Susan took a picture, put it on Facebook, and she captioned for the picture was, This picture is not zoomed in you really could literally, and out of respect for the animals you could, I could have reached over and petted a penguin. We came out of the penguin, we went over there, and there were flamingos, pelicans, all these birds. Pelicans were coming right up to, I mean, and there wasn't a fence, it was just, you know, some, looked like chicken wire or something. I mean, just nothing. There was a peacock. out We were eating, we stopped and ate. Uh, The zoo is free, the food is not, by the way. And we, we stopped and ate some ice cream because it was hot that day. And there's a peacock walking all around. Now, here's what I noticed. They had those exhibits set up with penguins and pelicans and peacocks. They did not have that set up for lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Right? They didn't have it set up for those animals because you can't tame those animals. I don't know about you, but if they'd had an exhibit where a lion could get that close to me, I'm not going to be snapping pictures. And sometimes we think we can tame those kind of things. Remember the two guys in Las Vegas, that Siegfried and Roy, that they had the tigers tamed and then one of them decided he didn't want to be tamed anymore? This guy couldn't be tamed. The idea is they had had several people try to hold him down. And I don't understand this. I don't understand how this works. I don't know how it works physically. I know that Scripture teaches almost every time we see one of these people that has been possessed by someone from the supernatural, that they have some kind of unnatural strength. It says they put chains on him, and what did he do? He broke them. So, so they're powerful in that sense. How else do you see, what else do you see as results of what is going on here? It's not just physical strength. What other things do you notice about the guy? Yeah, it was destructive, right? He, he was cutting himself every day on stones. I don't want to make the um, direct connection between this and, and some of the things that are going on in our teenage. Um, especially teenage girls lives I'm not talking about ours I'm talking about in general but if you're not aware especially if you have grandchildren or kids you need to be aware that one of the biggest kind of fads out there is cutting this idea where you just kind of cut yourself and let yourself bleed a little bit it gets serious at times what we have here is kind of a um, two thousand years ago, version of that. Like, I'm not making the direct connection that everybody does that is somehow. Has, I'm just saying that you see a destructive nature here. The Bible says that the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. I remember um, Doug Fields, who was a, a youth pastor in um, California for a long time, once said that if you're sold out for the Lord, he's trying to the enemy's trying to steal your joy. If you're kind of in the middle, sometimes you live for the Lord and sometimes you don't, he's trying to kill your witness. If you're somebody that's wondering if this Jesus stuff's even for you, he's out to destroy your life. And we see that destructive, powerful, destructive nature there. What else do we notice about this guy? So he can't, can't keep chains on him. He's... Yeah, he there's this essence and we'll get to this in just a minute he realizes who Jesus is and he runs to Jesus to talk to him to bargain with him who's around him? cemetery nobody he's in isolation somebody has said that misery loves company yet can seldom find it because nobody likes being around the misery you get this sense. Another thing that you see oftentimes when Jesus encounters these people is they are not the most social people in the world. That they've been isolated and removed from society. Kind of the last thing. He doesn't seem to be... He doesn't have his full mental faculties about him. How does he dwell in the cemetery every day? Screaming. This is one of those things we don't talk about in church a lot. What kind of clothes is he wearing? None. Ripped. Gone seems he spends a lot of his time naked. And I don't know about you, but seeing somebody naked living in a cemetery that probably don't have their full capabilities about them. So there's some kind of mental things going on here. okay? And so we see that whatever's happened in this guy's life, that the satanic forces, the evil, um, that he's filthy, um. He, he's when it says an evil spirit it actually means an unclean spirit and it has more to do that with just than that it was not right spirit um he, he just couldn't keep clothes on he couldn't keep chained that you see all of this stuff and so you know when you read these stories it's kind of mind-boggling when you really think i mean when we read the story we just read it well that's in the bible that's what happened but it's mind-boggling to really think about it um, one of the things that i've had the, the fortune of doing is in my phd studies is reading some accounts from missionaries on the field in third world countries and we don't see this kind of stuff at walmart or publics all right but missionaries see this kind of stuff on the field a lot a couple of books called one called the spirit of the rainforest Uh, it was written by a tribesman that had a missionary come and live with them for years um Another one, and the word came with power by Joanne Shetler who went to uh, an island nation and just things that they encountered. And these are missionary people who are telling the stories, being validated by the locals, and it's just amazing. In my Ph.D. colloquium, or in my my group, my cohort, we had uh, nine guys. Nine guys. I was, um, it was interesting because when I started I was the youngest in my last class, I was the oldest, so that tells you that that turnover's happening. But I was the youngest, so we had guys that, when you've lived your life for thirty, we had some four. We had a guy. We got a guy that's in his early fifties in that in that cohort. You've seen a lot in your life. I mean, nothing. As a pastor, this sounds kind of bad, but as a pastor, nothing really shocks you anymore when you hear or understand. And we read a book, the book that I mentioned, "The Spirit of the Rainforest." And when we came in and we began to discuss it, almost immediately, every guy in there said, all I know is there were moments when I was reading this and my mouth just dropped open. I was like, I cannot believe what I just read. Just absolutely flabbergasted. And it all came back to this spiritual warfare and what was happening with the evil forces. Now, here's the thing. Scripture teaches that demons are real and that demons are powerful. But if you don't hear anything else tonight... This is the most important thing, and it is this. In spite of their power, Jesus is more powerful. And the moral of this story and every demon encounter story you see is that the power of Jesus is more than the power of the enemy. There is not a story in the Scripture where the enemy defeats Jesus. He's undefeated. I mean, when you get to verse six, what you have here is an old-fashioned kind of battle royal, an old-fashioned kind of a um, confrontation. It's a battle, and what we learn from this demon is some interesting things. First of all, we see that this is early on in the book of Mark, and in the book of Mark, what we've been having to establish is this is um, this is who Jesus is, and Mark tells us kind of. One after another. This is what John said about Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is the miracle he performed. This was the man with leprosy. This was the paralytic. This was the calling of the disciples. This is his confrontation. And you've got this case building of he's trying to convince people Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. You've got to listen because I'm telling you stories to convince you of that. And then we get to this story of this man who is possessed by these demons. And the thing is, he doesn't have to tell the demons anything. They know. It's interesting that one of the earliest, clearest understandings of exactly who Jesus is in the Scripture in the book of Mark comes from demons. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because in the book of James, you remember he says, you say you know that Jesus is God, He's God's Son. That's good. Even the demons know that and shudder. I mean, what you see here is, he, Jesus is, before he's even gotten out of the boat, the man is running to him. Now, what you get the sense of is, and what it doesn't really explain completely is, is it the man trying to get over there because he thinks, I can get rid of these demons? Or is it the demons trying to kind of kind of cut Jesus off at the pass and make a deal with them before he gets over there and confronts them? I mean, when we get to see the actual discussion, the first thing that they say is, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of Of the Most High God. They declare who He is in the midst of that. They recognize Him for His sonship, for His deity, for what is happening. And they respond to it. Here's what I think is interesting. This man, possessed by these spirits, was like the most powerful elementary school bully you've ever seen. Nobody wanted to challenge him. I mean, you get the idea. They said they had given up. He could not be tamed. He could not be bound. Five, six men could go out there and try to get him down. They couldn't do anything. If they got the stuff on him, he broke him free. They were scared to death of this man. They cowered in fear from this man. Now, some of you might have flashbacks or remember somebody in your school growing up or neighborhood that was that kind of guy. You didn't challenge him. I ate lunch yesterday with my brother and uh, Stephen. Some of you have heard me talk about Stephen, my childhood friend that we've known each other since we were practically born. Grew up right across the fence from each other. Best friends growing up. And we were just talking about some stuff. And um, and somehow Stephen and I got to talking about the guy that was that at our elementary school. Um, We called him the Gooch. And nobody messed with the Gooch. You just, you didn't. You didn't play football. You didn't play basketball with him. You just avoided him. If he got the ball in football, he scored. Because nobody was going to do anything to him. All right. Well, you get the idea that that's what this guy was for the village. And then Jesus gets off a boat and begins to walk. And the man who strikes fear in the hearts of everyone Everybody in that town is running and throwing himself at the feet of the man getting off the boat and is scared to death what he's going to do to him. Do you see the reversal there? The man who scares everybody to death is now scared to death. And it's because of the power that is in the name of Jesus. And he comes and he falls down and he says, Just don't make us leave this area. No. No. There are lots of discussion about why they asked that. And I'm not going to get into all that because the truth is nobody knows really. Maybe they've set up a good deal here. They know the people here. They've settled there. They don't want to go. They're afraid of what happens. You know, There are these people that try to extrapolate from statements like that to give you full books about what it means. Jesus simply says, come out. They start to debate. And Jesus says, okay, you want to do that? You don't want to leave? I'll just put you into the pigs. He puts them into the pigs, and the pigs all run and jump off. What I want you to see there is that no matter how powerful the forces of evil seem, Jesus is more. And what's interesting about that is Scripture teaches that for those of us that are followers of Jesus, that He has spent His Spirit And the book of Ephesians tells us that the same power that was available to raise him from the dead is available in our lives. And so what that means is that we must be aware of the evil forces that are fighting against us and our king. But we must not be afraid or scared. Because greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. And you can have one of two reactions about how you deal with this. You see it right here in this passage. The first reaction is the townspeople. What do they tell Jesus? They come up. They see the guy. What's the guy doing now? He's clothed, sitting, calmly, talking. It says the people were scared. The man who couldn't be tamed had been tamed. So what do they tell Jesus to do? Jesus, will not you just stay with us for a while? Teach us, help us understand. What are they tell him? Leave. And it's not such a subtle suggestion, right? Like, well, Jesus, we know you must be on your way. You've got lots of places to be. There, you know, I mean, we, we don't want to hold you up here. You you just, if you need to move on down the road, you just move on down the road. We'll be fine. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. Well, there are some that think they were afraid that we're going to lose some more cattle, some pigs. and and there's definitely this thought of he ruined some of our economy maybe i think this is what they didn't know how to handle it man we had this guy handled this this, we couldn't control him but we had him he was in the tombs and he was naked and running out nobody really paid much attention now what are we going to do with this guy he's not even from here so your reaction can kind of be like that just like well Jesus, that all sounds good. and I mean, and I know the pastor is supposed to talk about that because that's what pastors talk about and they're supposed to use that kind of language. But, I mean, really. <laughs> I'll just go back to living my life like we were before we knew all that and we'll just get back to normal and we won't worry about any of this. Or, you can be like the guy. What does he do? He chases Jesus down and says, take me with you. Now, First of all, he wanted to leave because he knew the people back there. And he wanted to go with the one that had brought him freedom. But Jesus doesn't let him come, does he? He says, you've got a different task. Your task is to testify to what has happened in your life right where you are. And when he does, people are amazed. Now, here's what I love about the guy. He didn't just go home to his family. Until a few people gathered around the table. It says he went all in Decapolis. When I read that, I said it meant something. What does that mean, Decapolis? Ten cities, right? So the idea is he was regularly ministering in ten cities about who Jesus was. So he went and became somebody that testified about him. The, The two options that you have really about this subject is to kind of bury your head in the sand and say, well, that... You know, that, that's good for movies or television or for preachers to talk about in church. But in my life, on a daily basis, there's nothing really to worry about here. I'm just going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to keep pushing forward. I'm not going to worry about that. Or you can recognize the fact that they're real and that they're powerful, but that Jesus is more. And you begin to live in the victory that comes from that. And so when difficulties come your way, you don't just automatically dismiss them as poor circumstances or bad luck piling upon itself. You begin to recognize sometimes what it is, and that is the enemy at work in your life. And you trust the Lord and you move forward with him. We're going to talk a little more in depth next week about some of this stuff. Okay? So be back next week, and then after that we've got other interesting topics to talk about this summer. So. Appreciate you being here tonight. Um, Hope you uh, enjoyed a different look at a passage of Scripture. We don't go past a lot. All right?